Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Here you go. Here you go. Sovereign Fund is the nothing personal word of the day for the final show of the week ending June 2323. Sovereign Fund we have talked about. There's an hour with John Skipper that'll be released today on the Levitard Network. And we're live, of course. 10 seconds before the red light went on, I was having a coughing attack. So you may see my eyes tearing. I was trying to wipe them if you're watching this live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Sovereign fund, what does that mean? That's a whole bunch of money that is invested by people who got the money from oil, from various other business interests in places where they may not value human rights the way we try to in the US. We've called it sports washing, many people have. The NBA decided last year that they were going to allow sovereign wealth funds to invest in NBA teams, but it was quiet, hush, hush. And I told you in an absolute prescient way to see, I don't remember when it was or what show it was on. I don't think it was an official way to see, it was prescient that there will be, maybe it's what's coming out today with Skipper. Can't remember, too much content every week, Coca. Can't keep it straight. That there will be investments in NBA teams. So the NBA, made a huge announcement yesterday because this will have ripple effects for decades to come. The Qatari fund, the Saudis, they're the ones who did live. This is now the Qataris, the same people who hosted the World Cup. We remember that. Their investment fund now owns a piece of your Washington Wizards and your Washington Capitals, and maybe, yep, your Washington Mystics, all owned by the Monumental Sports Group, that same group, Ted Leonsis, the one who I told you wants to buy the Nationals, so wanted to take some money off the table, so needed to find investors, take some of the cash, make an offer for the Nationals, <gasps> and use that money, which is not sovereign fund money, wink, wink, and buy a baseball team in a league that hasn't yet approved actual investment of sovereign funds into the teams, at least yet. Brilliant. Ted Leonisis bought the network. Very, very good time to buy regional sports network, put all the teams in there. 
And then this Qatari fund invested at the parent level. When you read that people invest at the parent level, it's not like parents and kids, although you could look at it that way in terms of levels. There are entities. Baseball teams are pretty simple companies. The Marlins had about nine entities. There's an entity that owned the actual franchise. There was an entity that operated the stadium. There was an entity that was the general partner of the limited partnership, which was a separate entity. Then the general partnership had yet another entity, layers upon layers. It's all done for tax reasons, for liability reasons. It's set up by lawyers. It's perfectly kosher, perfectly legal. Every single team does it. When teams change hands, one of the documents you get in the package when owners are asked to evaluate. So I would just be given the package by Jeffrey and say, hey, are we in or are we out? Read the package. So we would get a package and there's a flow chart in the package. First, they give a bio of who the owners are. Oh, I wonder if they did that. A bio of the Qatari fund. This man responsible for 17 murders, three chopped heads, but they're rich. So you get a bio of the, of the owners, all their investments, then they write up a plan. Hi, as owner of the team, I'm going to be a member of the community who's gonna have generational interest in Major League Baseball, and I promise to be a, a yes man inside owners meetings and to always side with the commissioner, whatever. They say whatever they want. Then the financial projections, which is how everybody knew that Sherman was gonna trade Stanton because that's part of the package that's given to other owners. Then, you get the flow chart. The flow chart is all the different ways and all the different entities and how you arrive at ownership of the team. There are more boxes than a FedEx store and they're dotted lines and they're solid lines. You need a magnifying glass, then you need to ask questions, then your eyes roll to the back of your head and you go get a cocktail or a mocktail depending on your age or choice of vices. So what the NBA did is they said, we have a plan and I promise you this plan will not in any way offend anybody. We're going to get money to owners and no one is going to know the difference. Here's why. This statement is just, it's so, it's so good. I, I, thank you, NBA. Upon releasing information, that the Qatari fund will be an investor in Monumental Sports Group, which really is the Washington Wizards. The spokesperson said the following. In November, 2022, the NBA Board of Governors decided to permit passive, non-controlling minority investments in NBA teams. Let me start. Every single limited partner Minority investment is passive, is non-controlling by definition. But we'll put it in there because we're gonna belt and suspender it. So when people read this statement, they're gonna realize that yuck, we're not happy to have the sovereign wealth fund money, but we do. The governor's decided to permit passive, non-controlling minority investment in NBA teams by, now wait for the list, this is important, because they're gonna to try to hide the one that matters in the end 
by institutional investors. An institutional investor, that's like for those people up in Canada, and that 6.9% of you, the person who is buying part of MLSE, the, the pension fund, the Ontario Pension Fund, maybe it's called. An institutional investor are people who take other people's money and then invest it. It's like a hedge fund. Institutional investors, including university endowments. That's so adorable. So Harvard University Endowment or Yale University Endowment, which has tens of billions of dollars, they could buy into a sports team. Terrific. I'm sure that's the first thing they're going to want to do. Institutional investors, including university endowments, foreign and domestic pension funds. That sounds good. A pension fund. That's good. That's like teachers, right? Or carpenters or union members where you get a pension and then that money has to be invested because you have to get a return on it because then you're going to give people their pension when they turn 55 or after some wars and riots in France, 56. And sovereign wealth funds. Whoa, they snuck that bad boy in there. Subject to a set of policy guidelines adopted at that time. Wait till you hear the guidelines. This is great. Mike, you're a hell of a spokesperson. I'm in, but you really had to release this statement to The Athletic. Come on. All such investments require league review. Duh. Everything requires league review. You can't buy into a team and not have it under league review. But okay. NBA board approval. Really? No way. And compliance with the policy. That's so good. You have to sign about 30 different pages when you're buying a team that you're gonna comply with all the different policies and your eyes cross because they gloss over because you can't believe the number of policies. The one I focused on is you have to have a place to play. But then the statement kept going. All such investments. Oh, I said that right, sorry. Okay, 4869. The statement kept going. The NBA board is currently reviewing a potential investment, horse hockey, it's more than potential, by the Qatar Investment Agency, or QIA, Qatar Investment Fund, whatever, in monumental sports and entertainment, the parent company of the Wizards, among other sports properties. In accordance with the policy, if approved, it's going to be approved, QIA would have, wait for it, a passive minority investment in the team. Let's go back to the top. The governors decided to permit passive, non-controlling minority investments. Passive, non-controlling minority investments. In accordance with the policy, QIA would have a passive minority investment with the team. It didn't say anything about non-controlling until the end of the statement. With no involvement in its operations or decision-making. Thank heavens. The sports washing and the dirty money that is being brought into the NBA will have no involvement in its operations or decision-making, as opposed to all the other limited partners and pension funds and endowments, institutional investors. All of them will have no involvement in the operations or decision-making. That's important, because if you're ever going to build a new stadium or, let's say, do anything operationally, and you've got sovereign wealth fund money, you certainly wouldn't want them in charge of building your stadium, especially the Qataris. It didn't work out very well. So the NBA gets to hide. They get to do the deal with the devil. They get to have 
intimate relations with the devil and then say, look, the children that we are bearing are godlike. We've totally gained separation because they have no control, no involvement. You think the Kentari Fund right now with the Washington Wizards is interested in knowing whether or not Bradley Beal is gonna be traded or not? Do you think they had to call the QIA and say, listen, we're thinking of trading Bradley Beal to the Suns for Chris Paul, any thoughts? And on top of that, don't say anything, very, very quiet. Yeah, we can hold. Oh, sorry, we were just busy doing something. Hold on, I just gotta tell you, we're thinking of doing pool. Well, what, you mean like a pool of money? No, no, Jordan Pool, the guy from the Warriors, we're gonna bring him into the Wizards. Is that okay? Do you mind? It's the biggest crock of horse hockey I've ever seen. This is not about the Qatari fund or any of the sovereign wealth funds actually controlling what trades are done. It's about making sure the owners can take money off the table to use to either pay down debt or buy more stuff. And that's what Ted Leonis wants to do, as I predicted. He wants to buy more stuff, like the Nationals. The Qataris love funding teams. All the sovereign wealth, look what they did with Live. Look what the Qataris did with, uh, with uh, Messi's former team, Mbappe's current but soon to be former team, Paris Saint-Germain. Do you like the way I did that, Coca? Does that make me sound like je peux parler français? They basically spend money on top of money with reckless disregard, period. Saudi Arabia does it with Man City. They're the ones who are under the financial uh, investigation where they could lose points even though they just won the treble. They could get the treble taken away, but they're not gonna get in that much trouble because people love the fact that they ha there's a treble. It's good sports news. They've won the table. They've won the Champions League. They've won the Premier League. No, no control. Where do you think this is going with leagues? You think this is ending? It's probably ending. Live Golf did it, and then PGA took their money. The Wizards took the money, but that's it. My guess is you will never read another owner who does business with a wealth fund. No chance, toilet pants. One and done in the NBA, no MLB. No NFL. NHL approved the deal so fast, their head spun. Gary Bettman said, Sovereign Wealth Fund. <laughs> Our assets are going to go up. This is amazing. We sold the Senators for $950 million. Now we're going to get sovereign money. <laughs> this value of the capitals, we got to say it values the capitals at over a billion dollars. We have to say that, okay? This is amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the smell of money that comes from overseas. The reason I'm worked up about this is why can't they just come out and say it? Don't try to hide behind all these statements and all the different things that you're allowing when the fact is that you have zero, zero traction with the Yale Endowment. But you've got so much traction, you can go bare feet with the sovereign wealth funds. It was a matter of when, not if, it is now when. And here's a news flash. There ain't no stopping us now. I'm gonna give you an official way to see, it's so ridiculous. I don't think Coca's gonna allow it. But if you do, that'd be nice. Here it is. More teams will take sovereign fund money. I can't even say it with a straight face. 
All right, I'm going to say it with a straight face. This is an official wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does happen, I'll revisit and tell you. If it doesn't happen, I'll revisit and tell you. Wait to see. More teams will take investment, whether at the team level or the parent level, from sovereign wealth funds in Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and various other places that have reckless disregard for any human rights. That's an official wait to see. I think Draymond Green will sign back with the Warriors now, Coca. Now that Jordan Poole, how about Jordan Poole being sent to the Wizards for Chris Paul? What are the Wizards doing? Love it. Love it. Jordan Poole, Mr. Overpaid. No chance that he and Draymond were going to be back with the Warriors. We told you that in May, over a month ago. We told you that one of Poole or Green was going to have to be gone from the Warriors. It could end up being both, but it's certainly one now. I think they went to Steph Curry and said, listen, I know you can't stand being the babysitter anymore, or what's it called, the referee during timeouts? So that's it. Mike Dunleavy Jr. is the new GM of the Warriors. He learned a valuable lesson that you should all take, whether you're a GM of a sports team and listening to this, or whether you work somewhere else and are listening to this. And the more of you are working somewhere else and listening to this. Be very careful what you say. Because when you speak in absolutes, you better absolutely control the outcome of the subject on which you're speaking. Mike Dunleavy said very recently, he plans to have Jordan Poole around for four more years at least. He just said it. Four more years. It's like a presidential re-election campaign. Four more years. Ugh, I meant hours. Just watch when you do it because you end up losing credibility with your fan base or with your employees or with your employers or with your family. When you say you're gonna do something, make sure you have the ability to control whether or not that can get done. If you don't do it, that's up to you. But why would Mike Dunleavy, what would be the purpose? Was he trying to get a better trade for Jordan Poole? I think people, if they took true serum and they operated teams, it would be something. It would be like the movie Liar Liar. If you had to absolutely say the truth at all times, how funny would it be, these press conferences, when you'd stand up there next to a player you just signed, you're celebrating this this great moment, you're trying to sell into it, and you have to look into the microphone and say, holy Christ, did we overpay this bastard? That's what they're all thinking. What the hell is Boris doing on the dais? I used to say that part out loud, actually. Maybe I was in the movie. All right, regional sports networks, biggest story of the year. I had Otani's free agency as number one. I moved it to number two. The Diamond Sports Group and its bankruptcy and what it was going to do to teams and when it was going to do it was always going to be a big story. Yesterday, we had our second update. There's been many updates. So the way it works is when you file for Chapter 11, bankruptcy protection reorganization, there's a judge and your job as the company who's basically out of money, you have cash, but you have more liabilities than you have assets. So not all bankrupt people, you can still go grocery shopping. So I don't like it when people say, oh, he's bankrupt. How can he afford chewing gum? 
Bankrupt means that you owe people more than you have. So if you settled up all of your debts or paid all of your liabilities or everything that you owed, you would not have enough and then you couldn't buy the chewing gum. So instead of not buying the chewing gum, instead you decide to not pay the people you owe. And in order to be allowed to do that, you have to file for bankruptcy. And then you get to say to a judge, I need my chewing gum. I can't pay the rights fees to the Diamondbacks because it's a crappy deal that we signed. When we signed it, we thought, hey, this is awesome. The world's changed and I still wanna keep my money to buy chewing gum. The Arizona Diamondbacks are a team that is in first place, overperforming. And I tell you again, it don't matter. The reason it doesn't matter is that what Diamond Sports Group is doing is they're going to judges, the judge, and they're saying, we would like, if you don't mind, your honor, Chris Lopez, we would like to reject and have you reject our broadcast agreement with the Diamondbacks. That deal is unnecessary and burdensome. I love that. It is unnecessary and burdensome to them, but not to the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, it's totally necessary and actually a pleasure, not a burden. They, in a motion to the bankruptcy judge saying, let us out of this deal, and MLB will stand in the background, and again, they'll take over production, fans will get to watch the games, no problem, they did it with the Padres, they're taking a victory lap, how good it looks. They're promising the owner of the Padres and the owner of the Diamondbacks, we'll get you back to 80% of what your deal was. Way to go. They didn't tell me how many years they would do that, but for this year, we'll get you to 80% of what you were expected to get. But if next year we only get you to 60%, you better lower your payroll. This is better than the debt service rule to get payrolls down. Hell yeah. So they said to the judge, the rights fees payment under the Diamondbacks agreement totals tens of millions of dollars annually and increases yearly. That's true, every deal I've negotiated with the TV company, we always had an increase annually because we knew that we wanted payrolls to go up, so we needed our revenue to go up. Unfortunately, Diamond Sports Group, this is a quote, lose significant sums on the Diamondbacks agreement. Hmm. In all my meetings with Cablevision, and then Fox, there's one thing that I know for sure. I don't know much, but I know I love you. They were not losing money. Maybe I'll ask John Skipper that. How many rights fees did you do, John, where you lost money? Well, David, I'm not gonna say that specifically. What I will say is that ESPN was profitable. Well, thank you, I'm quite aware of that. And that means that every deal you did likely was just a different level of profitable. Certainly your deal with the Marlins was, he didn't do a deal with the Marlins, but you get my drift, don't you? So basically what the judge says when he looks at the deal and he looks at the revenue of Diamond Sports Group in Arizona, he looks at the number of cable subscribers in Arizona that used to exist and the amount of money that was coming into that regional network versus the amount of money that's going out of the regional network in the form of rights fees and production costs and says, wow, this deal blows. We are going to psht, let it go. They don't want it. The only one who wants it are the people who actually signed it. Yeah, the Diamondbacks don't want the deal to go away, but the judge doesn't care in a bankruptcy organization. He doesn't really care about the people who are owed money. He cares about getting on to the next 
making sure that the company can reorganize and find a path forward to reprofitability. And then he can go on to his next file. So when you can argue that the current costs that are associated with performing a deal are outweighing the revenues, then you get to say to the judge, hey, all the debtors who we owe money to, they wouldn't want us to have this Diamondbacks deal. Because every day we have the Diamondbacks deal, we lose a dollar. And that's a dollar that we could use to pay back all the people who we owe money to. Because don't forget, this whole thing happened because Diamond Sports Crew borrowed billions of dollars to buy all these regional sports networks. And the people who lent them the money, they want their money back. So they're waiting in the background as debtors. And they're saying, get rid of that Diamondbacks deal because if you're spending an extra dollar in losses to show the Diamondbacks, stop showing them and give me that dollar. So what do you think's gonna happen? think the judge will decide and enforce the deal? Nope. The Diamondbacks are going to be let go. MLB will take over production and that'll be two teams they'll own the streaming rights to. Two teams in the West competing on the field, despondent off the field. All right, when we come back, we're going to review the new documentary by Higher Ground Productions called Working What We Do All Day which is a question that is asked of me and Coca almost every day by people at CBS Medlock. What do you do all day? Well, we're gonna answer that. And then we're gonna tell you whether or not I'm going to London today because I'm not a no. We'll be back. Are you a hunter or an outdoor enthusiast? Take your love for firearms to the next level with Goat Guns. Our miniatures are an ideal addition to your hunting gear or cabin decor. Each model is meticulously crafted, capturing the essence of legendary firearms. Celebrate your passion for the outdoors by displaying these stunning pieces. With Goat Guns, you can showcase your love for hunting and firearms in a unique and artistic way. Explore our collection now and embrace your outdoor spirit at GoatGuns.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We're coming at you from right to left today. Thank you. It's been a week. A lot of content. Thank you for taking the time in all seriousness. I'm looking right into the camera right now. Thank you for your allocation of time every week that you give to Nothing Personal. We appreciate it more than you know, and we promise that we will work as hard, if not harder than you can imagine because this is what we do and we love what we do and we are lucky to do what we do. And it's only because of you. So thank you. I was asked to watch a movie about working because of my relationship with work has always been interesting. I've loved working always. I started trying to make as much money as I could as young as possible. I had a, uh, I had a racket, not illegal, but I would buy watches on Canal Street. My mother would take me to Canal Street. I'd buy watches and I'd go to college and sell the watches to college students for more money than what I paid for them. The fake Rolexes, I never pretended it was a Prada bag. I always said Prado. I was working always. I liked having the, the control. I liked having optionality. I have spent many, many years thinking about work and a documentary came out by the Obama Production Company, which is called Higher Ground Productions. Side note, have you read the difference between 
the Barack and Michelle Obama production company and what Harry and Meghan and their production company and how the different, what the difference is, other than the fact that the Obamas actually produce content that's good content and Harry and Meghan, I'm not exactly sure what they do. They did the Netflix show, but they have not exactly fulfilled. There's been all sorts of talk that the deal with Spotify and other things with Harry and Meghan are being flushed down the crapper. There's people who you find during the course of your life, and I know you agree with me. Some people work, some people don't. It's the 80-20 rule, which I've talked about in a mailbag. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In any company, in any situation, that's just how it works. And whether you are part of the 20, it's hard to know if you're sitting around on ESPN.com all day, the odds are you're part of the 80. That's your choice. I'm okay with it. But this documentary called Working is Barack Obama going through different classes. He uses an elevator as his metaphor, starts on the ground floor. People who are struggling to get by. People who have a budget where they are worried about grocery shopping and can't buy cereal because it's too expensive. Then the next episode goes to the middle class and what their life is. Then it goes to the C-suite and what their life is. And it's not lifestyles of the rich and famous, it's about what their jobs are, how they do their jobs, how they feel about their jobs. What is the difference between someone who's making minimum wage versus someone who's making millions? How do they view their life? How do they view their ambition, their desires? their lot in life? Do they have similar problems? Are all their problems different? Is there any intersection? I found it to be compelling because it's very important to understand how societies happen. People who are workers, people who watch people work, people who don't work, people who wanna work and can't work, wanna work and do work, people who have an opportunity, that others don't, people who want a different opportunity that they can't get or don't have. All of these different types of people are in not just our society, but any society. The birth lottery is an interesting factor, without a doubt. And I don't mean just nepotism, I mean where you're born. If you're born in the slums in India, it's gonna be more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult. If you're born on, you know, the 20th floor of Trump Tower, you have a better opportunity, which you can still in every way screw up. And what is the thread that actually goes through the entire elevator? And it turns out that for me, what I took from this documentary is the thread is desire, empathy, compassion, work ethic, You'd be surprised what those things can lead to. If you wanna watch a documentary worth your time, it's called Working What We Do All Day. It's three or four episodes, and I strongly suggest that you watch it. I may watch it again on the plane because I'm heading to London today. No, I'm not. I'll be back Monday, I promise. No, we're not done yet. We have 16 minutes this week. MLB is going to London. This is really good. The Cardinals and Cubs are playing the London series. Do you remember when the Yankees and Red Sox went to London? Yankees and Red Sox always get to do all the fun stuff. 
except players don't really want to go on these trips. So part of the new collective bargaining agreement is that players have agreed that they will participate in these international games. And what we do as a league is we try to convince ourselves that doing these international games, this is good business. I was on the international committee. We would sit there and look at each other and say, we got to do business in India. We got to do business in Europe. We got to find a way to get a game in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, Germany, London, Paris. Oh my, what about San Juan? Is there, what is that promoter still there in Hiram B. Thorne Stadium? We got, what, Dominican? Nah, there's no place. That'd be amazing. Mexico, hell yeah. We got the security, we're good. We're trying to find ways to get broadcast revenue internationally to get interest internationally because MLB International was expected to contribute money to MLB's central fund, which gets distributed to owners. It's gotta be a profitable business. Every league is trying to find a way to profit off Europe. The NFL has tried to claim Europe and they started with London, games in London, the Jaguars, now there's a exclusive 9.30 a.m. game on Peacock Plus. Could there be a division in London, a permanent team in London? Everybody's doing this. It's like Columbus discovering New York City, but actually standing on a rock in San Salvador. Hey, I'm here. Why aren't we calling it Columbia? Oh, oh, I get it now. Of course you wanna discover the great new world. Of course you wanna do it because it's gonna help you make more money. The problem is no leagues have found a way to truly monetize Europe, but they all say they have. So MLB comes out and these are very smart people working with MLB. They are coming out and talking about this series. Chris Marinak is one of the smartest people in the commissioner's office. He was gonna be a superstar from the minute he started. He is now the chief operations and strategy officer. And he was forced to give this quote, the UK has really been identified for us, London in particular, as the jumping off point for us to get into Europe. Holy shnikes, man. Let's try a different approach with why MLB's in London. Let there be no doubt that Major League Baseball is more than just the national pastime. The interest in baseball around the world, Europe included, has grown each and every year. We feel it is our duty and our pleasure to bring the people what they want. We want games in Europe because we want them to be able to enjoy what we get to enjoy 162 times per year. Second part of his quote, we feel like we proved that out in 2019 by coming back and having a really strong showing, we're gonna have the opportunity to really make some headway for growth, both in the UK and throughout Europe. Yeah, that's true. That's what we've been saying for two decades. That's what every league's been saying for two decades. We're gonna open in Tokyo. We're gonna open, let's go to, let's do it. Let's do an, a tour in Taiwan. How about an off season home run derby that travels around the world. We're always trying. And the reason why we're always trying is that we can show the owners, hey, look at this spreadsheet. If we invest this amount in India, there may be a player who grows up like Yao Ming, except he's Indian 
and then he'll be a major league baseball player, and then we're gonna own India. That's the biggest untapped market. We are gonna be rich beyond our wildest dreams. Problem, never found a player. I think the Pirates, Coca, there's no way you're gonna check this on the show. I believe the Pirates had two Indian players, none of whom made it, but it was a very big deal because they almost made it or came close to making it once upon a time. It's a thing. Not a lot of European players in Major League Baseball. Some, not a lot. In order to really gain traction, you better have a good shoe. You better have someone willing to travel over there. I'm talking about Kobe and Michael, willing to go there, Steph Murray, willing to go there and actually pimp. However, baseball players don't like doing that. Baseball spikes are not a thing. Baseball has always had a hard time competing with the other leagues to try to get a share of Europe. And the fact is the leagues who are doing it better still don't really have it monetized all that well. So why does MLB do it? Because the league has to show you that they're trying, that they are trying to expand, to go international. There's something sexy about it. There's gonna be videos. It's the same reason why MLB does the Field of Dreams game. And this was a great idea from Tony Petiti and Rob Manfred, actually. A great idea, I'm sure Chris was involved, where they play games in one-off places. The Marlins, we went to Fort Bragg. It was amazing for that one day. And they're doing it next year. They're doing a game in Birmingham, I think it was announced. So they're trying to find all different places to retrofit and make them big league ballparks for a day, play a game. It's cool. It makes people feel better about having an affinity to the league or to the teams. But is it moving the old needle? When you go to your broadcast partner and say, hey, how do you feel about showing two games from London? Hey, Fox and ESPN, you ready? We're gonna do a one o'clock game and then maybe a 9.30 a.m. game. It'll be great. People are gonna love it. It's Cubs Cardinals. Come on, man. Those are the two big franchises in the Central. And these are good teams, big time players. People are gonna love it. I told you I went to London for the Packers game that took place this past season, walked around London looking right at all times. And guess what? Nobody knew the games were going on. No one cared except for the people who flew over. So will there be people flying over to catch two baseball games? Maybe. Is it enough to monetize your international program? Not likely. But I don't want to say that I'm down on it. I'm just saying that it's not exactly groundbreaking to try to use London to get to Europe. And even if you do, I'm not exactly sure what it's doing for you in real dollars. I'll tell you what though, it's a way better plan to go to London than to follow my picks of the day, unless you're fading. 96 and 97. The Giants had won 27 in a row going into yesterday. The Padres and Blake Snell stink. That was the easiest one. It was a plus 110. The Giants got their asses kicked. They lost by a touchdown and a field goal. Got shut out. So we lost. We're 96 and 97. All right, we're going to pick the uh, London series. One of the things that players like when they go overseas, and it doesn't mean that it happens every time, but the majority of time it does. No one likes to fly all that way, eat a bunch of fish and chips and go visit Ted Lasso's bar, worry about getting run over by a double-decker bus that's coming from your right instead of your left, and get out of there being swept. Generally, 
it's going to be a split. They don't promise the split. It's not one of those things that's fixed or scripted. There have been sweeps, and like in Tokyo, there are sweeps. It happens. Not this year. The Cubs and Cardinals will split their series in London. So now it's just a matter of saying which way to go. So I'm going to take the Cubs on Saturday and the Cardinals on Sunday. Now, the Cardinals on Sunday is a tougher one because you've got Flaherty, who I love, going against Stroman, who's been terrific. That's the Marcus Stroman who wants to re-sign with the Cubs, but the Cubs won't talk to him. That's the Marcus Stroman who called out his front office saying, hey, I can't get them to make me an offer. Really? Shocking. Having the best season of your life, and you're going to want to monetize that in a way that is way not worth it, and you want to know why you're not being spoken to at your absolute high? It's like scoring 50 points in an NBA game and saying, hey, how about giving me the max right now, please? Well, you did score 50 in one game. I guess you deserve the max. Listen, Marcus has had a good season, but does this mean that he's deserving of a long-term deal? Hmm, not so sure. So we're going to take Flaherty over Stroman on Sunday, and we'll take Steele over Wainwright. That's right, the same Wainwright who caught Beltran looking. Sorry, Coca. What year was that? that Wainwright as the closer, rookie closer, caught Beltran looking to end the LCS. Was that back in 06 by chance? When Coco was just a young boy. We're taking Steele over Wainwright, that guy's still pitching. It's unbelievable. And tonight, we're going with the Brew Crew. Shane Justin Bieber's pitching for the Guardians. We're gonna try to take plus money and take Miley Cyrus and the Brewers over Justin Bieber and the Guardians. Those are your three picks for the weekend. One of the things when you're running an organization, whether it's a team or a company or anything, Metal Arc Media, CBS, whatever it is, how do you know when you have a superstar, but that superstar is sort of out of control? Ego getting the better part of him, her, them. They're not doing what they should be doing, how they should be doing it. How do you discipline that person when you know that disciplining that person actually ends up hurting your company? The Tampa Bay Rays are the organization that I am jealous of. I say it every time and I mean it every time. It's been six years since I've been out of baseball and I still think about the Tampa Bay Rays and what they were, how they operated and how they do operate. I've told you, you don't trade with them. They rarely make mistakes. Look where they are this season. They signed a guy named Wander Franco to an 11-year, $182 million deal for 869. They signed a guy named Wander Franco to approximately 11 years, $182 million when he had been in the big leagues for four and a half seconds. Their commitment to him was epic, extraordinary, amazing. Teams are doing this often now. It's insane to me. But if the Rays are doing it, it must mean that they know what they're doing and that Wander Franco is the type of guy. How you know a person that early is beyond me. Oh, he was really good in the minor leagues or oh, look at his family. This is the guy we need to be with. It was announced that Wander Franco is being benched for two games because of conduct. The Tampa Bay Rays are taking their player who they are gonna be living with for a decade. And what they are saying to the public is, we are not happy with the way he acts on the field, off the field, the type of teammate he is. 
He is not adjusting to Major League Baseball the way we need him to, the way we expect him to. So here's what we're going to do. It ain't John Morant, so we don't need to do it for eight games, but we're going to do it for two. Why make that public? You're not suspending him without pay. You are not doing anything other than giving him a day off. Do you feel as though if he's not in the lineup, you have to tell the media why he's not in the lineup? All you have to do to say to the media is, yeah, just give him a day off. Why didn't you pinch him in the eighth inning when we were down one and we had up Samson when we could have had up Franco? Well, we wanted to give him a full day off. Day two, you know, we just, we're good. You know, it's a long season. It's okay to give a player back-to-back days off. You don't have to publicly say why you are doing what you're doing. You don't have to disclose the discipline. But when you do, you're doing it for a reason. The Tampa Bay Rays do not do anything by accident. When Kevin Cash comes out, the manager, and says that Wander is a really good kid, a really good person, a young player that, he meant who, is learning and dealing with the challenges of being a major league player and some of the frustrations that come with it. Over the course of this season, there's been probably multiple times that the way he's handled his frustrations have not been the way that we ask our players to uphold being the best teammate. They took their truth serum pills this morning. We've come across it. It's a very hard decision to make internally. Forget the decision to make it public. Doing it internally means that you sit with the player, you explain why you are sitting the player for two days, and it can't be the first time you've had the conversation with the player. This has to be the fourth infraction, minimum, where the player's on notice. Listen, you're screwing around. You're not hustling on the base pass. You're not paying attention in the clubhouse. You're not doing your work. You're throwing crap around after a loss or after we win, but you go over four. If you wanted to sulk like Luis Castillo used to do, love him, but we'd win a game, he'd go over four to be sulking in the corner, including the World Series. That was him. He earned that right. You can't do that yet, Mr. Franco. We need you to be with us. Once, twice, three, you're still doing it. We're going to sit you. We're going to tell your teammates exactly what we're doing, but we're going to keep this in-house. You don't have to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. That's one way to do it. The other way to do it is to put Franco on the bench, have him walk into the clubhouse, see his name not in the posted lineup. He would go to the manager's office and say, Skip, why aren't I playing? And then the skipper would say, eh, just not in the lineup. That's one way to do it. And then you go to the media and say, did you notice? Franco's not in the lineup. We'd have our PR people do that. Ask the manager. The manager would have been ready because we told the manager what the plan is. The manager would then say, he's out of the lineup because of disciplinary reasons. The player then gets embarrassed. That's another way to do it. Another way to do it is you tell the player in advance he's not going to be in the lineup and you tell the player in advance you're going to go public with the reason he's not in the lineup. All of those are the different pathways. They may end up in the same place because when we read what Kevin Cash says, we don't realize the steps that happened prior to him saying it or the reasons. But you got to give Tampa the benefit of the doubt. What will be interesting to me is that how will Franco react to this two-game punishment? Will it be in the best interests of the team? 
when I had a chance to do this to players, and I did, we always thought it was in the best interest of both the team and the player. And the way I used to do it, sometimes I'd walk up right up, right up to Hanley Ramirez as an example. Hey, Hanley, you're sitting. It's just business. This is nothing personal. <laughs>